0: Amen. Thank you for your gift and the offering today. That will help to support the ongoing work here at Evangelist. We continue to share and to do good in this community, in this corner of Montreal. We're so glad that you're here today. Let me um, let me just uh, make mention of our team that's in Ukraine, as we already have. Uh, it's just an incredible thing what God is doing, and we develop. Uh, teams and groups of people that will travel around the world to help share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you know, in Ukraine, we have several uh, people that we support uh, through loads of love ministry, and we have nine people from the church that are there serving, so pray for them. Continue to pray for Pastor Patty and Jeff as they lead the team. Uh, They're going into schools in uh, little home churches and all kinds of things. Uh, serving well. So pray, pray for all kinds of things. Um, probably, uh, you know, we pray for health and safety and all those things. But I know as a team traveler, you know what they're praying for, first of all, and for, uh, for most importantly, that their luggage arrives. That's what they're praying. May the luggage right? I know that they've already had some people lost in the airport. I won't point out which ones. But they all got reunited. They all found their way. They all got to their destination all safe and sound. Uh, And their luggage did arrive, so it's all good. But continue to pray for them. Uh, They have a very busy schedule over there connecting and meeting new ministries and new people. And uh, we're just excited for what God's going to do through that. Let me also announce to you uh, that we have two other missions trips that are coming up that we are going to uh, announce today. So in October, uh, we have a missions trip from October 13th to 20th. Uh, We are going to take a small team to Cuba to do some ministry in some small home churches and hopefully some children's ministry down there as well. Uh, We are going to be working with Dino Fonte. Many of you know Dino, a longtime member here at Evangel. He also works uh, from here as a global worker in Cuba. And for over 20 years, he has been pioneering churches and developing uh, pastors and leaders down in that area. And so we want to go and take a team and support him down there, uh, go to some of the churches, develop leadership pray with them, uh, speak, minister, all that kind of stuff. And so we want to be able to do that in October. So if you want to be a part of that, you can sign up at the Get Connected list, put your name on the list there and uh, we'll be able to kind of process things with you. And then uh, three last three weeks of January 2019, we will be taking a team to Chiang Mai, Thailand, to do some ministry uh, with some of the organizations that I worked with. with. Jana and I were living there in Thailand. We're going to work with some of the ministry partners that we have over there, one of them being the center and serving university students, doing some English Courses as well as an English camp and maybe possibly going into some of the orphanages and the villages in that area. So, if you want to sign up to be a part of the Thailand trip, uh, you can sign up again at the Get Connected area. And uh, we'll do that trip the last three weeks of January 2019. We are continuing our series today on real life, real world, real God. We've been looking at some of the books of the New Testament and some of the writings of the uh, disciples and apostles that are writing letters to real people in real situations, living out real lives in a real world, serving God in their communities. And so we know that many of the writings of the New Testament, many of these books that were sent out to the early churches apply to us today. And so we're going to continue looking today at one of those, First Peter is the book that we're gonna look at today. One of the apostles, Peter, wrote this book specifically for a region. A lot of the books that we read about in the New Testament, they were, they were books that were written to certain churches. And so the church at Corinth, or the church um, in Galatians, or some of the other uh, in Ephesus, some of those books that were written were specific to those churches, in those cultures, in those situations. And so when they would write to them, they would say, here are the problems that are happening in your church, and here is how you address some of those things, and here is how you are to live in that church, and take this stuff, and use it, and develop a good, strong, healthy church in that area. And so we take some of those writings, and we apply those things to our lives today. But this one here, 1 Peter, as Peter wrote this book, he wrote it for a region. He wrote it for what is now modern-day Turkey, but, uh, or, or minor, Asia Minor. It's just south of the Black Sea. It was four Roman provinces where the church was spreading incredibly fast, just south of the Black Sea. And so the churches in there were needing some guidance and some help. Uh, They were living in a a Greek culture, a a very ungodly culture um, in that region. And so for 400 years they had been oppressed by, the, by Greek culture and Greek influence and Alexander the Great had conquered this land 400 years earlier and he demanded a Greek culture. The Greek language was the primary language of the region and uh, these people were just developing these churches in this very foreign culture to them. The Greek gods and goddesses were the focus of everyday life. Lifestyles and practices of the day were founded in Greek mythology and Greek worship and and pagan rituals. And and, and so Peter wrote this letter as a general letter that could be taken on a missionary journey and begin to wander through that region and stop at all of the major churches in the area and begin to uh, develop principles and purpose for the church in that culture. We see that this lifestyle referred to, we see it all throughout the New Testament, the challenge of the church living in in this Greek culture. These were some of the greatest challenges that the Apostle Paul had as he preached and as he taught. And he makes references to some of the Greek gods, one even known as the unknown God. A uh, a common story, a, a a familiar situation where the churches, as they grew and developed, they would know these unknown gods and they would know these Greek gods that were all over the place. And so constantly the New Testament church was, dealing, was always dealing with these things. Even Luke references these challenges in the book of Acts. This is the setting for First Peter. It's a very exciting time for the church, and at the same time it was a very challenging time for them Churches were springing up everywhere, all over Asia Minor. And in the middle of this anti-God culture, a culture that had been entrenched for 400 years, in the middle of all this, the church was crying out for some direction and for some, some purpose. So Peter puts this letter together, and he sends out a team, and they go into all of the churches. They journey throughout Asia Minor, and they meet up with as many churches as possible, and it's said that this was probably taken to 12 or 15 major churches in this area where it would then be copied and handed off And then it would be taken. They would take this message and they would copy it. They would teach on it. And they would talk about what the church looks like. And then that team would move on and they would go to another church. And they would copy it. And they would talk about what the church would look like. And then those churches would then make other copies. And they would send them home with the individuals from the church. And they would go off into smaller communities and smaller areas. And they would begin to share Peter's writings. This is what the church is. This is how we are to live. This is what it is to be a follower of Christ. And the church would continue to... Spread all throughout Asia Minor. These churches, they're the first century Christians, the cornerstone to the future church. This is where the foundation of the church is being molded and shaped through these early believers. This book, this book, 1 Peter, was a crucial piece of writing for the church at a very crucial time in history. And as we look at this book a little bit this morning, let's remember that Jesus said to Peter that it was through him, through Peter, that he would build his church. Matthew 16, 18 says, So I will call you Peter, which means a rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and death itself will not have any power over it. So these churches want to hear what Peter has to say, knowing that Peter is a foundational person in developing the church. They probably heard stories of all of the apostles and all of the disciples, and they had heard stories of who had visual account of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They probably knew the story that Jesus had said to Peter, that I will build my church through you. And so now Peter is writing this book and sending it through these churches, and they are are, are, are wanting to hear more about what Peter has to say about the churches, and here we are as a church, 2,000 years later, and we have a copy of First Peter. We have it on our phones and on our tablets, and we have paper copies at home or maybe here with you, and we can read First Peter. We can read the account of Peter's words to the early church as he would encourage them. We're still reading these letters. Today every church, every people group or house meeting or individual with a Bible has a copy of First Peter Letters to the Followers of Christ. That includes you and I this morning. It includes us, it includes every Bible believing preaching church in the city of Montreal today. Jesus said to Peter, I will build the church with you. And so I would suggest today that if Peter has something to say about the church, we should probably take note and listen to what Peter has to say. So when he writes these words, he writes words of encouragement to the church, words that help us grow in our trust in God through obedience, especially when we suffer. That's the gist of the book So Peter puts together a list of things that he wants to say to the church. He begins to pen this letter, and he begins to kind of maybe list things off that he thinks might be important to reveal or to talk to the church about. Lists are important, aren't they? How many know lists are important? And all the men put their hands up, right? (laughs) Lists are important. Lists are very important for me. Jenna knows that I have to have a list If I'm being sent out to pick things up, I need a list. And It doesn't matter if the list is for something that she needs, whether it's supplies or groceries or anything like that. It could be something that I'm working on and I have intimate detail of this project and I know all the things that I need. If I don't have a list, I'm likely to come back missing half of what I need. For that. I don't know why it's that way. It's just that way. I need a list. For example, last week I was working at our house in Ontario. I was doing a small plumbing job. I needed four items. It took me three trips to the hardware store to get those four items. We need lists. Lists are important. Sometimes when Jana, she writes the list, right, she'll have the whole list down there. And then she'll remember something at the end. She'll write it off to the side. So I've got all of this list here, and I've got this thing off to the side. And I'll go through the list. I'll come back. I'll be quite proud of myself thinking, yeah, I got it all. This is good. I'm being responsible here. And Jana will say, where are the carrots? I'm going, carrots weren't on the list. And she'll pull out the list and go, yeah, they're right here. And I'm going, ah, I need to read all the words on the page. All those words are important. Lists are important, and so as Peter is writing this book, he's beginning to list the things. And oftentimes, when we list things, especially when we're building vision or building ministry or we are uh, developing a company, oftentimes when we build those lists, we put those lists down. Sometimes we would uh, uh, things at the top of the list would be far more important than things at the bottom. And so, oftentimes, when we develop those lists, we list things in order of importance. And I think that's what Peter is doing here. All of the things that he is sharing here are important, but there are some things that I believe became more significant to this church than others, and so he starts out with some of those things in his list as he shares his heart to the early church. So here in this letter to the church, Peter starts his list. Hope through faith in Jesus. His first item starts with explaining what it is to be a follower of Christ. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is so good. And by raising Jesus from death, he has given us new life and a hope that lives on. God has something stored up for you in heaven where it will never decay or be ruined, or disappear. You have never seen Jesus, and you don't see him now, but still you love him and have faith in him, and no words can tell how glad and happy you are to be saved. This is why you have faith. Be alert and think straight. Put all your hope in how God will treat you with undeserved grace when Jesus Christ appears this is huge. He starts with the pivotal point of Christianity, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is an eyewitness account of this event, starts his list with the most important core issue of the faith, a personal belief through faith in Jesus with undeserved grace. And he's sharing this in an area where the church is growing rapidly in a culture that is void of God. And so he's sharing and reinforcing the basic principle of why we follow Christ and why we come together as a church and and who Jesus is to us. He starts at the very beginning. He starts with that plan of salvation because he knows in a church that's growing rapidly throughout that region, there are going to be many that are are true to the faith and understand the gospel, but there'll be many that are on a journey seeking out who Jesus is and what Jesus might mean to them and what it might look like to live as a follower of Christ. And so 1 Peter starts right off with the plan that God created us to have fellowship with him that sin entered the world and separated us from God. God's love was so great for us that he created a path where we could be reunited with him, that sin could be forgiven. That path was the death and the resurrection of Jesus that when we accept the truth of this plan through Jesus by faith, we are then reunited with God and receive undeserved grace that allows us to stand sinless before God. That doctrine of salvation is set out for us in the first few verses of this book, likely to reinforce what the plan of salvation was, necessary because of all of the influences around them. These are words of encouragement Primarily because of the difficulty of living as followers of Christ, especially in that Greek culture at that time. Then he goes on. He puts down another point on his list, and he says, as followers of, or, 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 as followers of Christ, he puts this on his list, make good decisions and live holy. Wow, that's hard, right? Right? For the most part, it's very hard, and for the most part, it's not done well. We have a sinful nature. Our go-to as humans is sin. That's the ever-ongoing battle. Paul talks about this battle in Romans chapter 7, how his own struggle to do right is so hard. Romans 7.15, in fact, I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do what I know is right, I do the things I hate. I know that my selfish desires won't let me do anything that is good. Even when I want to do right, I cannot. Instead of doing what I know is right, I do wrong. And so if I don't do what I know is right, I am no longer the one doing these evil things. The sin that lives in me is what does them. We're all in this boat together. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. There should be no judgment among us. We all battle with sin. If we could see ourselves without God's grace, we wouldn't be pointing out anybody else's faults or sins. Your sin and my sin both require undeserved grace. Be alert and think straight. Put all your hope in how God will treat you with undeserved grace when Jesus Christ appears. Behave like obedient children. Don't let your lives be controlled by your desires as they used to be. Always live as God's holy people should, because God is the one who chose you, and He is holy. That's why the Scriptures say, I am the holy God, and you must be holy too. This is not a statement of condemnation or made to belittle us, but rather it's an example of a father's love for his children. Boundaries are put in place to protect us, to think straight, to help us to make good decisions. It says that we are to behave like obedient children. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, there was a church from the community unrelated to the church, it was, uh, there, there was sorry, a group from the community that was unrelated to the church that would borrow space in our facility to meet. And they called the group, uh, good parents with bad kids. And it was a group of parents that had lost uh, their their children to um, drugs or to alcohol or they had just left uh, the house altogether and they were living on the street. And these were, for the most part, these were good homes with good families and good incomes and all those kinds of things. But they just couldn't understand what went wrong with their kids, and and every now and then I would come across one of their kids and uh, be talking with them and ask them, you know, what brought you to this point, and why do you hate your parents so much, why do you think they're so bad, and and all those kinds of things. And, And here's what they would tell me. Most often they would tell me this, that my folks didn't put boundaries for me. They didn't give me guidelines. They gave me all kinds of freedom. And on the surface, you might think that that's good, but These kids were coming back saying, you know what it told me? It told me that they didn't love me enough to protect me and teach me how to live properly. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know who's to blame. We weren't making judgment. But it was interesting to hear their comments saying, I didn't have boundaries in my life. I didn't have the guidelines that I think I should have in order to be able to make good decisions. So Peter is talking here to the church, and he's saying these things. He's saying, behave like obedient children. To live like this is a complete contrast to the culture of that day. The culture of that day was everything and anything goes. And Peter was saying... Live like obedient children. There are boundaries, there are guidelines. Live within those guidelines. Don't live in a culture, in a community where everything goes and follow that pattern because destruction and pain and hurt and all those kinds of things will come. But he's saying live within the boundaries that God is giving us. Peter's encouragement was for them to live out as the living stones of the church, the living foundations of the church And so he puts that on his life. Christ is the living stone and now we are the living stones. Now with this salvation and and trying to live right, we can be the living stones of the church. And so... In his list of things, he's packaged this up to say, this is what it is to be a follower of Christ. This is how you come into that relationship with God. And then this is how you live within that relationship. And now he's saying, because you are in that fellowship with God, and because you are trying your best to live according to God's purposes and plans, you then become those healthy stones that build the church. Now, The whole living stone doctrine is a complicated biblical doctrine as Jesus was that cornerstone. And we won't be able to address or go into much depth with it today. But many of the readers in that day would have been to a Hebrew school and would immediately recognize this reference and begin to understand that Christ was the fulfillment of prophecy. And that through that fulfillment of prophecy as followers of Christ we can become those living stones that would build the church. So here's what we'll take away from it today from 1 Peter is that we are the church. The church that Peter writes about here in these passages are now us. Living out God's purpose and plan for this generation in this culture. The church still has purpose today. What we offer in Christ is still a lamp to our feet, and it's a light to our path. And now you are living stones being used to build a spiritual house. You are also a group of holy priests, and with the help of Jesus, you will offer sacrifices that please God. Us. In our imperfections and in our struggles are the living stones that continue to build the church today. Notice that it says, with the help of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we are expected to do on our own. It takes help. Help from God, help from our families, help from each other as we continue to find the path that God leads us on. And so Peter goes on, continues, he says, You are the followers of the Lord, and this stone is precious to you, but it isn't precious to those who refuse to follow him. They are the builders who tossed aside the stone that turned out to be the most important one of all. They disobeyed the message and stumbled and fell over the stone because they were doomed. But you are God's chosen and special people. You are a group of royal priests and a holy nation. God has brought you out of the darkness into this marvelous light. Now you must tell all the wonderful things he has done. We are the church. We are those living stones. Peter goes on on his list. The fourth thing he says, live as God's servants should. And that's hard, folks. Nobody's saying that living as we should is easy. There are always challenges and tests. And when we fail, it's common for people to think, I bet you're just like the rest of us underneath. Dear friends, you are foreigners and strangers on this earth, so I beg you not to surrender to those desires that fight against you. Always let others see you behaving properly, even though they may still accuse you of doing wrong. Now that doesn't mean that we're allowed to fake it and just make sure that we're caught doing the right thing every now and then. But it means that people are watching. It means that when you are seen, make sure that you are found to be doing the right thing. In other words, do your best to do the right thing and to live according to God's plan daily. The Scripture goes on, in 1st peter then on the day of judgment they will honor god by telling the good things they saw you do the lord wants you to obey all human authority especially the emperor who rules over everyone you must also obey governors because they are sent by the emperor to punish criminals and to praise good citizens god wants you to silence stupid and ignorant people by doing right you are free But still, you are God's servants. And you must not use your freedom as an excuse for doing wrong. Respect everyone and show special love for God's people. Honor God and respect the emperor. Although it's clear that we are free in Christ, that doesn't mean or it does not give us the right to ignore the basic principles of right and wrong, but rather in that freedom we live responsibly as Christ would live. First Peter 5 says, Be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. But you must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith. You know that all over the world, the Lord's followers are suffering just as you are. There's a challenge and an encouragement here that if we are alert and we are aware of the troubles and the struggles and the the sin or the corruption that is around us, there is opportunity for us to be awake and alert to prevent some of these things that are happening in our lives. Sometimes it's just choices, making the right choice, and sometimes we have that battle that Paul talked about in making those choices, but here Peter is just trying to encourage us. That the enemy's trying to destroy you, but if you keep your mind and your heart on Christ, then there's strength. The next three points on Peter's list, they kind of run together. Number five says, You will suffer. Do right when you suffer. Number six and number seven, Count it a blessing when you suffer. So we know that there is some kind of hardship or suffering that comes. Be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. But you must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith. And here it is here again. You know that all over the world, the Lord's followers are suffering just as you are. Peter talks to us about that suffering. It would be wrong of me to say that if you follow Christ, everything you come up against, everything that you, 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 you battle if you follow Christ will just come up roses. That's just not true. But we can be on our guard and we can stay awake, alert to those things that cause us to fail. We can follow the example of Christ when suffering comes. Persecution of the church in this region was a common reality. And the growth of the church was partly because of the way the new believers reacted when suffering came. So Peter is encouraging us to be faithful to God when that suffering comes. When the enemy tries to bring destruction, be faithful to God. I think of the story of Joseph... If you know the story of Joseph, simply he was the youngest of 12 brothers and he was favored by the father and he was uh, given many great gifts by the father and the other brothers became jealous and he would then, Joseph would then have dreams about the brothers and saying that someday I will be greater than you and you will worship me and you will have to answer to me and the brothers hated him for that and so they decided that they were going to get rid of him and they faked his death and they threw him into a pit and then they sold him off to slavery. They didn't know what had happened to their brother, but the story of Joseph continues to wind a path where he was uh, bought as a slave, and he was put in charge of many things in Potiphar's house, and he, was, he was, uh, had established himself as the authority in that house next to the master. And Potiphar's wife then began to seduce him and he resisted her and he, and, and he thought, no, I, I can't be party to this. Uh, uh, I have an obligation and I have uh, um, a lifestyle that I live and a code to live by that honors God and so I, I, I will resist this temptation. And he flees from her and she rips his coat and then she falsely accuses him to her husband that he was, he was uh, seducing her and he was thrown in jail. And it's interesting to know his comment on this. When all of this was happening, he didn't say that he was sinning against his family, or he didn't say that he wanted to resist this because it was sin against the owner and the master of that house. But Joseph cried out in that time and saying, how could I do such a wicked thing? How could I fall into that temptation? If I were to do that, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? His priority was to try and maintain a standard and a principle in his life that allowed him to honor God in all things. It's not easy to do that. It's difficult to do that. And we fail when we do that, but God's grace comes and allows us to stand with wholeness before Him in purity to say, God, I am doing my best that in the time of suffering that I will honor you. Do right when you suffer. First Peter, again, it says this finally, all of you should agree and have concern and love for each other. You should also be kind and humble. Don't be hateful and insult people just because they are hateful and insult you. Instead, treat everyone with kindness. You are God's chosen ones, and he will bless you. The scriptures say, do you really love life? Do you want to be happy? Then stop saying cruel things and quit telling lies. Give up your evil ways and do right as you find and follow the road to peace. The Lord watches over everyone who obeys him and he listens to their prayers, but he opposes everyone who does evil. Can anyone really harm you for being eager to do good deeds? Even if you have to suffer for doing good things, God will bless you. So stop being afraid and don't worry about what people might do. Honor Christ and let him be the Lord of your life. Always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you about your hope. Give a kind and respectful answer and keep your conscience clear. This way you won't make people this way you will make people ashamed for saying bad things about your good conduct as a follower of Christ. You are better off to obey God and suffer for doing right than to suffer for doing wrong. Simply put, What Peter is saying here is do good, love each other, and reveal Jesus. During this suffering, Peter also says that we are to count it a blessing when we suffer. And I'm thankful that nobody ever told me that there wouldn't be suffering as a Christian. It's just the reality. Life goes on. Life affects everybody. But in the midst of suffering we can be blessed. Dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked that you are going through testing that is like walking through fire. Be glad for the chance to suffer as Christ suffered. It will prepare you for even greater happiness when he makes his glorious return. Count it a blessing when you suffer for being a Christian. This shows that God's glorious spirit is with you. We know that we're going to face suffering. That's just life. We know that things are going to come across our path that are going to kind of divert our plan and bring maybe some discomfort or pain or some challenges or some hurts into our life. But Jesus is saying that I will help you and I will walk with you through those things. And you don't need to count all that, th- all that suffering as loss or as torment, but you can actually see it as a blessing in order that God can be glorified in our life. It shows that God's glorious spirit is with us. And finally, the last thing on his list, Peter writes this book to encourage us. And I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. He writes this book to encourage us. In the final chapter of the book, Peter writes to encourage pastors and elders. He writes it to encourage Youth, the young, the old, those that worry, those that don't worry, those that have stress in their life, those that live right, those that struggle, those that live well, those that are still on a journey searching for answers and searching for Christ. He takes time to set the example of encouragement in the last chapter of 1 Peter. I hadn't read 1 Peter in a long time, and as I was preparing for today and I was reading through 1 Peter, I thought to myself, it's all here. It's all in this book, How to Be a Successful Follower of Christ, How to Be a Successful Church. And I'm sure that when he penned this letter, that was his intent, that he could kind of put it all into one package, one small letter so that it could go out into all of those churches and it could begin to spread and bring truth and bring hope and bring foundation for these new believers as they were on their journey with Christ. And sometimes we just need to make a little list of the things that God wants in us and the way that God wants us to live. And maybe every now and then we need to just pull it out of our pocket and look at it and begin to act on it. Maybe cross off one of those things off our list to say, today I'm going to do whatever it takes to live right. Today I'm going to do whatever it takes to be a representation of one of those living stones of the church. Today I'm going to bless God and be blessed even though I might be suffering. When I read First Peter, it was awesome to think it's all right there. How to live as a Christian, how to live as a church. And finally, Peter writes this, be humble in the presence of God's mighty power and He will honor you when the, when the time comes. God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to him. Lord, help us to take you with us. Lord, help us to be living stones of your church. I thank you for this book, for these five chapters that are an encouragement to us that you instructed Peter to write out these foundational truths for the early church, that we could take these truths today and we could live it out in our life. Lord, I pray that you would continue to encourage us today and may we take time this week and read through 1 Peter to again reestablish some of the foundational things in our lives. And for those of us here today that might be on a journey of truth and a journey looking for Christ, Lord, I pray that First Peter would be an enlightening book for them this week. We thank you for your word. We thank you for First Peter. And we thank you for the direction and the encouragement that is there for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, will you lead us?